Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Hello, friends. My name's Ray. I go to church here, and Pastor Adam, as you are, already saw, sends his greetings. Yeah, he, you know, he's, it's one of those things where he looks at his wife and goes, honey, I have to go out of town. I'm working in San Diego, California at the beginning of March. So don't you believe for one minute that he has any hardships? Because um, uh, uh, the worst day of work in San Diego in March is better than the best day of work in Campbellsville in March, right? So he's, he's doing all right. How's everybody? Yeah, I like this. Hey, the coffee must have like extra caffeine in it because you guys are lively. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Um, hey, uh, my little grandson's here. So second time he's been here. There's Carrie. Second time he's been here. Uh, I got to give a shout out to him and his beautiful mom and his beautiful grandmom that are right there. So there's a family shout out for you guys. Um I have, um, I have Andrew and Pastor Adam's permission to engage in shameless uh, self-promotion and commerce here in the church. So there's this groundbreaking new book that has changed my life. Well, because I wrote it. Um, so I'm promoting today uh, Deeper Grace, uh, which is actually, in all seriousness, it's a book that has profoundly challenged me in the writing and more than in the writing, in the living. And my beautiful assistant in the blue scarf uh, will be back there selling this book afterwards. Special Vineyard Family Price. Save one third. Buy 10. Buy them for your family. Doesn't your, doesn't your mom need deeper grace? Yeah? What about your grandmother? So we're up to at least three copies a person, yeah? Okay. All right. Enough of that. Okay. Uh, but seriously, my wife will be back there. And, and if you want my grandchild to eat, so no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. There you go. All right. Yeah, I know. It's terrible, isn't it? Okay. Um, so, um, Adam's gone, and you get the B team, and we're doing a two-week mini-series, which is going to be on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, so I'm going to start us off this week, and then Adam is going to bring us home next week, which is to say he will clean up whatever messes I make or whatever questions you may have. So can I just ask you, if you have any questions about prayer, the sovereignty of God, how things work out in the cosmic plan, uh, the deeper meanings behind the Greek and the Aramaic from the New Testament, would you save all of those questions until next week when Adam is back? Um, so, you know, that's, that's his job. He's the pastor here. Um, that's his job, right? After he's been in San Diego, he should be tanned, rested, and ready. Uh, but we are going to look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is, of course, one of the great gifts that Jesus gave to us, uh, one of the great gifts of Christianity to all of humanity. And uh, I, I seriously am going to take about the first half of the prayer, and then Pastor Adam's going to take the second half next week. 
Uh, and um, as, uh, as I worked on this this week, there was so much, uh, I really began to become excited about the chance to share with you guys. Uh, and there's so much in the Lord's Prayer that I can hardly wait to see what I'm going to say today. Um, because my, my head's just been exploding in multiple directions. And so what I really hope is that the 9 a.m. service uh, will help me discover what it is I'm going to say, and then you guys should come back to the 11 o'clock <laughs> once I figure out what this message is going to be about. You all right with that? Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you seriously please help me? Um, would you help me to say the things I should? Would you help me not to say the things I shouldn't? Would you help our ears together uh, to attend to your word? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would jump all over uh, the meanings that you intend for us. Holy Spirit, we receive that you have had this appointment in mind for us today. And as a result, we say you're welcome here and help us to attend to what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I am one of the least qualified people in the world to talk about prayer um, because I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, I I don't know so much about it. Uh, I met the Lord in the summer of 1970, uh, which was a while ago. And I'm I'm not I'm not like doing shtick here. This is really true. I I would say the first 25 years of my walk with Jesus, uh, I prayed uh, primarily for the reason that uh, that's what you're supposed to do. That's it. I, you know, I knew that Jesus said we should pray. Uh, I even knew that he told a story in the, the Gospels that we should always pray and never give up. Um, but I didn't get it. Um, and, and first 25 years of walking with the Lord, it didn't make prayer, didn't make sense to me. Um, uh, I would read people who were way smarter than me and they were a little bit helpful and I would think I understood something, then I'd close the book on whatever they wrote. And then when I would actually be in prayer, it was like, what am I doing? Now, I don't know if you guys have had that experience. Uh, you know, prayer is one of those good religious, churchy, Christian things to do. Uh, and it is also something that is way out of my league in terms of understanding. Um, now, something did happen in my life about 20 or so years ago um, to where I began to realize Uh, that prayer was as much about being with God as it was about me telling God what to do. Uh, That prayer was about just simply carving out space and sanity and time to just be with him and to reorder my life according to his priorities. Uh, And that began to start to make a difference for me. I can't explain prayer. I don't don't understand any of the deep significances. I couldn't hang out uh, with the theological people on prayer. Uh, But I can tell you that uh, over the last 20 years uh, that I've begun to find real peace. I mean, the real article, genuine peace. And I've begun to find a deeper and more genuine relationship with Jesus because I carve out time in prayer and maybe just as much because I've learned in prayer to shut up and listen at least as much as I talk in prayer. Um, So I, and I, and I think we'll discover some of that uh, in, uh, in what the Lord has to say in his prayer. Um, Bible scholars here, do you know where you find the Lord's prayer in the Bible? Not all at once. 
Yeah, you didn't. You, you thought it was rhetorical. You thought I was actually just like going to keep going, right? So where we find we find the Lord's prayer? Uh, we can find good prayers in Psalms, but we won't find what they call the Lord's prayer. Yeah, somebody that had time to Google it while I was vamping. Uh, it's it's Matthew six. Oh, Connor, Connor knows the next slide that's coming up. Yeah, so if you brought a Bible today, and I hope you did, we'll be working out of Matthew chapter 6. Now, uh, this is worth knowing if you don't know even anything else about the Bible. Uh, You know, there's Matthew's gospel, which is the life of Jesus. uh, And Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what they call the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is like, you know, it's in the top 10 of Bible stuff. You know, you got the Ten Commandments, that's in the top ten of Bible stuff. You got, you know, the Red Sea parting, that's probably up there in the top ten. You got the 23rd Psalm, somebody uh, referenced it, uh, definitely in the top ten. Uh, but so is the, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, uh, Jesus was uh, an itinerant preacher. He was a guy who walked around the countryside and just shared messages with people. Sometimes he shared them over the dinner table. Sometimes he shared them around a campfire with people that were traveling with him. And then other times in more formal settings, either like in a synagogue, the Jewish equivalent of the local church, uh, or sometimes in even more formal settings where lots of people would be gathered to hear him, uh, he he shared his messages. And the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I'm, I'm sure that there was one time that he shared all that stuff, you know, that it's just the way the Bible says that he starts there, you know, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says everything that happens, and and then it ends. But I also think the Sermon on the Mount is also kind of like the greatest hits CD. Uh, I think that maybe you know there were there were like things that he repeated again and again. Uh, they didn't they didn't have MP3 files. They didn't have iTunes. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have any of that stuff. So if Jesus is traveling around, I have a feeling that uh, that there were like set pieces that he delivered because he believed in them. You know, the reason sometimes that we repeat ourselves is that it means so much to us, right? The reason we repeat ourselves is that it means so much to us. So that's, that's what I want to share with you is some of the things that mean something to me. So the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and the, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and let's do that next slide, please, Connor. Is in Matthew chapter 6, it's verses 5, Uh, through 13 is actually going to be our text. So the first slide here is the introduction. So Jesus has already started in on the sermon. Um, And by the way, his sermons are always shorter than the preacher's sermon. What's up with that? Uh, That's also true even of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a long one. But Jesus has already been talking, and he's been talking about doing your deeds of righteousness, which we'll get to in a minute. And he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, They love to pray standing in the synagogues, holding the microphones on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Don't keep babbling like the pagans. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. By the way, that, has, that line has both comforted and troubled me all of my life. All right? Next slide. 
So Jesus continues on and he says, so when you pray, you should do it like this. And then he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we've also forgiven our debts, sorry, uh, as we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, when you've learned to recite this prayer, if you were church broken at all, uh, you've probably have added for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And by the way, it is his, the kingdom and the power and the glory. But that's probably not in the original text. That's probably uh, the church through the centuries trying to add a degree of majesty and respect, which um, meaning no disrespect to the early church fathers. I don't know that you need to add a lot of more majesty, dignity and respect um, so, you know, we can say it. I know I, when I recite the Lord's Prayer, I still say, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And there's nothing wrong with it. But I would like to point out it's probably not what Jesus said. Uh, and, in, and in fact, you know, he's this king, but he's the vagabond king. He's the walking around, uh, doesn't have a place to lay his head king. Uh, so uh, Jesus didn't talk much about power and glory and majesty. Um, you know, when, when he wore a crown, uh, uh, it wasn't comfortable. And when he wore a robe, uh, they tore it off of his back and gambled for it. So, you know, th- there's there's a reason that the, the sacred, uh, trustworthy scriptures kind of end with that. Okay? So, Jesus, would you help us? Um, here's the deal about prayer. Um, this is a prayer that Jesus, our Lord, our Master, teaches us. And... Uh, I've grown up, and and presumably so have you, uh, in kind of this evangelical subculture, or maybe you grew up in in, uh, a little bit more formal church culture. But, you know, we think that prayer uh, should be kind of conversational and spontaneous. Just yesterday, my wife and I uh, were up at a hospital in Cincinnati, you know, Stephen and Chloe Oligas, right? And their little baby, three months old Jack, uh, had one... uh, uh, half of the left side of his lung removed because it had a spot on it. By the way, the operation went really well. Uh, they, <laughs> the doctor described it as perfect, and uh, uh, they have a little suction tube to keep pneumonia and infection from setting in. They took that out earlier than they expected. Uh, we saw Stephen and Chloe, and they were like uh, so relieved. Chloe had said, you know, I said, how are you doing? She goes, I'm doing great now, but before the operation, I was a mess, right? Uh, So that went really, really well. But I I bring that up because it's about prayer. We spent some time just, you know, holding baby Jack and praying for him. And uh, I I didn't pray a a pre-written prayer. Uh, I didn't pray a rehearsed prayer. Just in the moment, we invited the peace of God into the room. We invited the presence of God into Jack's body. We thanked God for what had already done, and we asked for supernatural recovery. God bless you. Uh, we, we asked for supernatural recovery, but it was an entirely a, a spontaneous prayer. Um, and, you know, here's part of the challenge for us, if we've grown up in that kind of culture. We tend to think, even if we don't verbalize it, that the only authentic prayers are spontaneous prayers. That the only authentic prayers are the prayers that we just say in the spur of the moment. And actually, we are the historical anomaly because most of the church, the church has been around a while. Do you know that? 
2,000 years, most of the church uh, has used, uh, received prayers. Prayers that were given by people who knew something of what it was to be in the Father's presence. And most of the church has recited prayers. And I, I grew up, I'm a child of, you know, like the late 60s. So, you know, it was end of the war in Vietnam, make love, not war. Uh, flowers are better than guns. Uh, Richard Dixon, let's get him out of office. I, was, I grew up in a really rebellious time. And so the idea of, well, don't you tell me how to pray. You know, we're, gonna, we're just going to pray, you know. And, um, uh, but the truth is, is that that's fairly modern. Most of the church has looked to the book of Psalms for prayers they could recite. Most of the church has received the Lord's Prayer as a prayer they could recite. And most of the church has looked to the great saints of all the ages for prayers that they could memorize and recite. Did you know that? So that when, you know, St. Francis of Assisi actually writes down a prayer and says, Oh Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And then on and on it goes. Um, The people that were Franciscans that followed after his teaching would recite that prayer because it reflected the wisdom of their elders. Well, what we have here in the scripture is the inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved by the work of God, words of Jesus. If there was ever a prayer that we could recite with confidence, it's this one. It's authoritative. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. (laughs) Thank you. Got one. We got one witness there. Jesus is God. He knows what life with the Father is like. And, and when he says, this is the way you should pray, we ought to go, like, really? Okay. Um, and, and I realize that there is a, a certain degree of, excuse me, abuse that can go on with received prayers. Um, but um, spontaneous, spontaneity is not the only authority. I mean, I, and I believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the Spirit can inspire our prayers. But we should humble ourselves and receive the gathered wisdom of scripted prayers, both word for word. We should commit some to memory. This is one that many of us have committed to memory. Um, But then also just that those prayers become our guide. Those prayers become our guide in um, how to pray. And so um, let's do the next slide, please, Connor. This is the Lord giving us prayer. Uh, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, and you know the Sermon on the Mount starts with all that beautiful poetry, uh, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and you know, blessed are the meek because they'll inherit the earth, and you know, blessed are the people who let you go first at the four-way stop uh, because I'm in a hurry, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so he starts with that, and there's this long Sermon on the Mount, and actually at the beginning of chapter 6, he actually says, be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness uh, in order to be seen of others. And then the context for the prayer, the setting for the prayer is Jesus gives us uh, three acts of righteousness. Did you know that? What are three acts of righteousness that should characteristically go with students of Jesus, with apprentices of the master? And those three are, Jesus says, when you give, and then he talks about giving. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. So he talks about giving. 
Then he says, and when you pray, and then we read that passage. And then later he says, when you fast, uh, you know, don't look like Ray, but, you know, you know, look like Dr. Ray, you know, look good <laughs> when you're fasting. Um, so, because, um, you know, I've, uh, Dr. Ray's probably fasted a lot of times. I've never known it because he always looks good, you know. Um, so these are the, there we go, just did a little stick on you. Um, uh, those are the three acts of righteousness that our Lord, our Master, and our King say are part of the regular rhythm of life uh, of being an apprentice of the King, uh, giving, prayer, and fasting. Did, did you know Jesus actually had those priorities for acts that indicate you're in right relationship with God? Yeah, that's, that's worth knowing. Uh, and then he says, uh, you know, he says, now when you pray, and the first thing he says is, don't be a poser. Don't stand up in the synagogue. Don't hold the microphone. So who's guilty here? Uh, don't hold the microphone and don't think that you are cool because people get to watch you pray. So, you know, if you, you want the short version, don't be a poser. But when you pray, go into your closet, go into the secret place. And if that needs to be that before you get out of the car to start the work day, that you just breathe deep three times and you say, Lord, you know, when I go into this place of employment, this factory, this office, you know, whatever, wherever you go for work, I just want my work to, to give you glory. You know, do it there, right? So, you know, don't grandstand, Right? And then he says, and don't babble, don't ramble on and on. He said, here's one of the marks of people who don't know God. He says, the pagans think they will be heard by their many prayers. And so don't ramble. And, you know, I guess it would be true that if your heavenly father knows everything you're going to ask him before you ask him, uh, you really don't have to explain a lot to him. And, what, and if we make that really personal in relationships that are intimate, do you, do you really have to explain a lot to your dearest loved ones? It's like, you know, my wife and I have been married 31 years, and there are certain sort of things I can just see it on her face. She doesn't need any words at all. Now, I'm as clueless as the next husband. There are times where she has to explain it to me, but there are other times where based on the intimacy of our relationship, you know, just one or two words, and I get it, right? That's the kind of relationship that we should have with God in prayer. Uh, we don't have to talk him into something that he's not inclined to do. We don't have to explain to him the situation because he wasn't there, but we were when she said that to him and they did that to them. We don't, we don't have to lay all that out. Uh, I, I was around one guy, this is years ago, so when I was in college, and all he said were these two words, and, and I can't say them the way he said them, but he just said, oh, Jesus and I realized right then, this guy had a relationship in prayer that was way better than I ever had. Just by the way he said, oh, Jesus, you know. So you don't be a poser, don't ramble, but don't try to, to perform these acts of righteousness uh, in front of other people. Um, uh, let's, do, let's do the next slide, if we could. But he says, when you pray, this is the way you should pray. And... Uh, the prayer starts with our Father who's in heaven, right? And when I was learning how to meditate on the scriptures, do you guys ever do that besides reading the scriptures? That you just meditate, you just try to soak, you, you don't be in a hurry, you just want 
to let it kind of like marinate into you. I don't know if that's actually a proper theological term. Well, when I was learning to meditate, I thought, well, this is a good religious thing to do. I'll take the Lord's Prayer and I'll meditate on that. And so I thought, okay, Jesus, you and me, we're going to meditate. So got, you know, sit down. All right, Jesus, you ready for this? I'm going to meditate. And I thought, I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer. And so I looked down at the first line and it said, Our Father who is in heaven. And right then the Holy Spirit said, Holy Spirit said, that's too much. And I said, really? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you can't meditate. That's too big. You can't meditate on just that. I said, all right. All right. So I said, our Father. And the Holy Spirit said, that's, that's too much. You can't meditate on all that. And I said, oh, come on. Right? And the Holy Spirit said, no, really, it's too much. And so I went, our? And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, stop there. Just meditate on that. It actually was so life-giving. Don't be in a hurry. Even when you pray, don't be in a hurry. Do you know that when Jesus Christ, God come to earth, our Lord, our Master, our Lover, our King, when he gave us a prayer, he started with this word, our. Now, I am something of a grammar nerd, and I'm a bit of a geek about words, uh, and I know this is highly technical, but I'm going to go ahead and share it with you. Our is plural. (laughs) What? Who knew? Yeah. And the very first thing that my time in meditation on the Lord's Prayer, this is years ago, it was about the time I was starting to make a transition in prayer. The very first thing that God reminded me of is that we never pray alone. We always pray in community. And have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed and you felt like you were all alone? Have you ever prayed and you felt like nobody understood you? Have you ever prayed like my circumstances are desperate? I've been uh, kicked to the side by the woman or the man that I love. Uh, Nobody cares about whether I'll go bankrupt or whether I'm really, really rich. Nobody cares about whether I'm cool or whether I'm a nerd. And, you know, sometimes when we pray, we get up actually feeling worse than when we started to pray. I've done that, right? Have you ever prayed and just simply rehearsed your anxieties before God, right? So, Lord, I'm this and, Lord, I'm that and, Lord, I feel like this and, Lord, I feel like that. And God is so sweet because he just said to us, the first word in prayer reassures us that we're not alone. Now, Jesus made the way. He paid a price that we could never pay so that we can, with complete confidence, come before the Father. And he says, our Father. And and now when I pray, I almost always, almost always imagine that my big brother, Jesus, puts his arm around me and says, come on, let's go to the Father. And you know what that does when your prayers, when you've got a big brother watching, not the one that picks on you, the big brother who watches out for you. And he says, come on, let's go together. It's like, okay, so whatever uh, view I have of God that makes me tremble, I, I can set that aside. 
because I got my big brother. So it's like Jesus says, Dad, Ray's got something he needs to talk with you about. So we, we always pray in community. Even if it's just me and Jesus. But we always pray in community because, for a further reason because he sets the solitary into families. Aren't you glad? He sets the solitaries into actual literal families. He sets the solitary into church families. Um, do you know that when you pray, whether you're in uh, these gray walls with these purple chairs, whether you're in this building or whether you're at home, that you're a part of a family of God, imperfect, raucous, filled with posers and charlatans and people who rub you the wrong way. Well, that's family, okay? All I'm doing is describing family, yeah. But when you pray, you're not alone. You know, the the, the family of faith prays with you, right? I, I have a feeling that one of the reasons that so many people put things up on Facebook about prayer, like pray with me about this or that, is they don't want to feel like they're alone. And at least with Facebook, they'll get a smiley face, right? I mean, they, they're looking for any kind of feedback. And what God gives to us, if we're a part of the community of faith, is not only is big brother Jesus with us as we go to the Father, not only is, is big brother with us, but we, we've got the family of faith. We've got people that, that will stand with us in prayer. Um, what's the, the number one evangelical, churchy, Christian blow-off? Well, I'll pray for you. And so what I've tried to learn to do with some measure of humility and realizing that at my advanced age, I don't remember things very well, is I'll say to somebody, you know, as often as the Lord reminds me, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll pray for you. That's, that's actually a guarantee I can live up to. But we pray, we pray in community. Jesus is with us. We pray in the community of faith. We actually pray as well. We pray with the saints gathered of two millennia. Isn't it wonderful? If, if Hebrews tells us that, that we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who are urging us on. And anytime that we're tempted to think that we're alone or maybe we're not a part of a family of faith like a local congregation, do you know that our brothers and sisters, I've got brothers and sisters I've never met. Brothers and sisters who lived in France in the 14th century and farmed the land and they were illiterate. I've got African brothers and sisters uh, who were a part of Africa before Europeans ever thought they discovered a whole continent. I've got Asian brothers and sisters who right now today meet in secret in, uh, in apartments and, and in open fields. Uh, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. So, our Father means Jesus is with us. It means that if we have a church home, that our community of faith is with us. Our Father means that we're, we're part of a family so much bigger than we ever know that we have. And that's, we're not even past the first word. So Pastor Adam can have the rest of the prayer next week. Now, I've got a little bit more time, don't I? You okay with me? All right. He says, our Father. Aren't, aren't you glad about this? Now, I, and I realize that our day and age, my wife worked at a crisis pregnancy center, first as a volunteer and then as a director. Believe me, she came home with some stories about some pretty screwed up fathers, okay? 
But the heavenly father is the perfect father. So maybe you didn't have a good dad. But if you know Jesus, you've got a good dad now. Isn't that good? And so Jesus says, here's how we pray. We pray our father. We don't pray our great and almighty merciful God. I know I'm making fun of other people. I'm going to have to repent of that later. Maybe a lot later. I don't know. I mean, he is. He's great. He's almighty and he's merciful, right? But we don't have to like pile up all of the adjectives about who God is. We just say father. In fact, Jesus said Abba, which is like daddy, right? That's so important. Do you know your prayer life will change forever if you realize you're talking to your dad who really loves you? as opposed to the God who gets mad when you screw up. You know, what a huge difference. And by the way, uh, that's, that's true within the church, but that's also been true historically. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old story about a rabbi who would go to morning prayers. And before he would go to morning prayers, he would kiss his wife and he'd hug his children and he'd weep and he'd cry. And he did this day after day after day after day. And, you know, and finally his wife said, why are you carrying on? So you go to morning prayers every day. And he said, because when I go to morning prayers, I'm going to pray, almighty God, have mercy. But I'm afraid that as soon as I utter almighty God, because he is holy, he will strike me dead before I have a chance to say have mercy. (laughs) To go before God could be to go before the very one who could judge you. And before you could cry out for mercy, he's so holy, he could strike you dead. If you're thinking about the great and powerful Oz, the guy behind the curtain. But he's already proven that he's our dad. He's he's already proven his love for us. He's already proven that we don't have to worry that between the first breath and the second, that the wrath of God will descend on us. We pray our Father. Isn't that good? Okay, and I guess he's in heaven. I don't know what that means. All right. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's do the next slide. wonder how far we'll actually get in this. Um, Hallowed be your name. Andrew, are you in the house? How how, nine o'clock service goes till when normally? Uh, 10, 30, 40-ish. Ish, all right. We're okay then least for a while. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Anybody ever use the word hallow these days? We got Halloween, right? Probably got like four or five really scary horror movies that have have hallow somewhere in the title. And that's about it. Okay. Um, Even in our more modern translations, like the translation I'm working out of today was the new international version. It says hallowed be your name, but Hallow just means holy. That's all it means, right? So what we're saying is, our Father who's in heaven, your name is so holy. Or let your name be considered holy. Hallowed be your name. Um, uh, we've told you about meditation. I, I had another teacher, uh, not a guy that I knew personally, just a guy that uh, really had a life-giving ministry. It was called, uh, Could You Not Tarry for One Hour? which, by the way, is what Jesus asks us about prayer when he's the night he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Like, hey, you know, is it too much to ask just an hour? You know what? You're going to fall asleep? And I go, yeah. Um, but uh, his ministry was he took the Lord's Prayer and he broke it into six components. He took it and broke it into six components and said, if you understand the Lord's Prayer bit by bit by bit, times six, by bit by bit by bit, you can pray. Can you pray 10 minutes on each one of the six bits? And he'd say, you know, the very first thing after we realize that we're praying in community and we're praying with our Father is to just simply praise him for who he is. What a great way to start with prayer. First of all, we're realizing Jesus comes with us. We're realizing that we're going together to our dad. And then we're realizing that he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of reverence. He's worthy of all of our attention. This is a good thing. Um, It's really a good idea. Even if you're being chased by thugs down the street and you need to pray while you're running, it's a really good idea to let your first prayers be, you're really cool. (laughs) Now you might be out of breath and you're running for your life from the thugs who are chasing you down the street. But it's really important in prayer to let the very first thing we do be that time in which we hallow who he is. We reverence God for his goodness, for his holiness. I I read this uh, just about three months ago, and I've been practicing it now every day for three months. So just like brand new to me. But one guy said, do you know most people think about their problems as soon as they wake up? And if you would just think about the goodness of God when you wake up, you know, you'll get to your problems. They're there. They're waiting for you. I mean, they ain't going anywhere. But if you just took a, a minute or two just to think about the goodness of God, it's like totally changed my day, right? Well, that's the way it is in prayer. That's the way it is. Excuse me. Um, that's the way it is in prayer. Let's, let's come before this wonderful, completely other than holy God, and let's give him praise. Do you know that praising God is like the beginning of mental health? I don't care if you're neurotic. I don't care if you're psychotic. I don't care if you're schizophrenic. I don't care if you're multiphobic, like what about Bob, Bob Wiley, right? You know, if, if we just simply praise God, it's the beginning of mental health. If we revere God as who he is, it's like this. I thank you that you're God and I'm not. Wow, that like resets the whole mechanism right there. Because can I tell you? Can I tell you, I've prayed in such a way that I wanted him to know that I'm God and he's my servant. I know you've never prayed like that, but I have. Let me tell you what the score is here, God, right? And so I've prayed like I'm God and I want him to do what I want him to do. But if we can come out of real reverence and praise and recognize his goodness and his holiness, it causes us to reset the mechanism. Okay, And then I find this curious. I'm not sure I've got it all worked out. But Jesus, our Lord, our Master, instructed us to pray, hallowed be your name. Like I'm half asking, so if you've got some insight, you know, like I'll stop and I'll wait. Why did he want us to hallow the name of God? Anybody ever thought about that? Not a rhetorical question? Because it's, a, because it's a powerful name. Yeah, there's power in the name of Jesus. Andre Crouch goes on and on about it when he's vamping in some songs. It is. It's true. Is it too 
Because his name represents who he is? Yeah. Far more than, you know, how we try to brand ourselves. Yeah. It's a focus off of ourselves. Yeah, and on to him, which is like really always healthy. You know, the parent who just causes the teenager to roll his eyes because the parent says, you know, it's not all about you. <laughs> then you get the eye roll from the teenager. Then when they're 30 and they have two kids and they've been married three years, they begin to hey, it's not all about me. You go, oh, I'm glad you discovered that. Yeah. So focus off of ourselves. We're, we're instructed by our king, our master, our lord, the, 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 the master to whom we are the apprentice, that we should say, hallowed be your name. You understand, God's holy whether we hallow his name or not. You know, it's like the old, you've heard this adage, if, if you call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs does the dog have? The answer is four. Doesn't matter that you just renamed the tail a leg. The reality is the dog has four legs. You see, God is holy whether we say so or not. But Jesus, I think, one of the reasons, and we've had some excellent reasons, because there's power in our name, because it gets the focus off of ourselves, because his name reveals who he is. Thank you guys for those. Like I said, come back at 11. This will be a lot better message, because you guys are helping. Um, if, if we actually have been instructed by Jesus to pray, hallowed be your name, who are the entities, the people who represent God's name to the world? Who represents God's name? Yeah, we do. Us is us. We're the ones, right? Do you know that every time we pray, hallowed be thy name, that it's not merely just praising him or a recognition of who he is, that it's actually a commitment that my life represents the name of God to my wife, to my children, to my neighbors, to my community, and to a watching world. If I do the God talk, but my life doesn't represent the holiness of God, what I'm doing is I'm tarnishing the name of God. I'm, and this is not like, I'm not backing up the guilt truck here. I'm just trying to say that when Jesus instructs us to pray, hallowed be thy name, we're not simply just saying, hey, you. We're actually entering into a commitment that I want his name to be perceived as holy. And so my actions have consequences. You, you begin to realize when you pray that sometimes, you know, he's actually inviting us into this path of transformation. And so when you pray, hallowed be your name, let me encourage you to start to think, I wonder how that's going to happen. I like practical people. They say, really? Well, how's that going to happen? So if we pray, our father is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Maybe we should hear the voice of that practical person who says, really, how's that going to happen? How does God's name get hallowed in our community, in our society? And the answer is through you and through me. And isn't God this incredible risk taker that he would entrust his name to us? I mean, he's holy either way. It's no skin off of his back. Well, it was one time. Um, it's no skin off of his back. He's holy. 
But he entrusts his name to us. If we call ourselves Christians, you know what it means? It means little Jesuses, little Christs. I mean, he's rolling the dice big time. And when we pray, hallowed be your name, it ought to be our commitment to to lend towards that holiness. Okay? All right. So prayers, and now I'm looking at my notes. I probably should have done that like a long time ago. Prayers actually are call, our commitment to make his name holy. Yeah? Um, let's do the next slide. I think I, I, I took a long, I should have just read my notes. I could have said it once. We'd be done. Right? All right. And then we pray this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's actually the first request that is in the Lord's prayer. Right? Our Father, we pray in community, Jesus, the older brother, let's go together. God, you're in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We're taking on some degree of commitment and relationship and responsibility. And when we pray, our first request ought always be that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, believe me, I got a prayer list and I got plenty of requests. Like... Shameless commercial. I've just brought out a new book. One of my prayer requests is that I would have one-tenth of Rick Warren's success as an author. Right? I'm not greedy. He can be the king of all the Christian writers. But Jesus, my request is just give me one-tenth of his success. Which would still be about 270,000 books. (laughs) So maybe I am greedy. (laughs) Right? That would be my first request right now. But the uh, the master tells the apprentices that our first request should be, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First things first. Now, can I say this? Um, The Vineyard Movement nationally and internationally, the Vineyard Church locally, the kingdom of God is part of the foundation of who we are. If you're kind of new here or if you've been hanging out for a while but you just haven't heard people talk about it, that phrase, the kingdom of God, encapsulates that Jesus is the king and he has a place of dominion and rule. And that is in the hearts of men and women. So where's the kingdom of God? That's wherever Jesus' rule and reign is effectively working right now. It is a kingdom without borders. It is a kingdom without particular cultures. It's a kingdom uh, that doesn't, uh, is no respecter of persons or gender or age or ethnicity or any of those things. Where the king's will is being affected, the king's dominion. Where it's being enacted, that's where it is. And we're told that we should pray. We should pray, let your kingdom come. And, you know, I kind of tipped my hand on hallowed be thy name. Because if we're saying, Lord, let your name be hallowed. But he said, hey, I I gave you my name. Kind of entrusted it to you. If we're instructed to pray, let your kingdom come. You know, it's not really a request. It's a commitment. Because that practical person back there is saying, really, let your kingdom come? How's that going to happen? And, you know, the result of his kingdom coming is that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, 
as it is in heaven. It is as much a commitment for us to be the doers of God's will as it is a request that his kingdom would invade. When I pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, I need to realize I'm the one signing up for that. And, and I could tell you story after story after story. I am, and maybe it's because I, I kind of grew up with a little bit of Roman Catholic in me. I'm the kind of guy who will pray the same prayers word for word for word every day. And if it's important to me, I'll pray the same prayers word for word for word every day, and I'll do it for years. And then when God finally decides to answer the prayer, he says, guess what, Ray? I'm going to empower you to become the answer to the very prayer you've been praying. Now, that's different than we're responsible to answer our own prayers. I I, I really want you to hear that. It's different from God saying, oh, well, you want that, do you? You better go out and make it happen. Okay, that's called capitalism. (laughs) Right? This is... I pray, I ask, I implore, I make my requests, the first of which is that his kingdom would come. And then he says, how about if I come and I infuse you with the Holy Ghost and with a transformed life and a renewed perspective and you become the agent of the very kingdom that you want to see in the earth. It's not a harsh taskmaster saying, Well, it'll happen as soon as you make it happen. It is a loving God who will empower us to be, to partner with him to make our requests come true. And here's the commitment. God will do what we cannot, but he knows it's important for us to be able to grow into the type of people who do what they can. And so it's one thing if your nine-year-old says, will you tie my shoes? It's another thing entirely different if your 19-year-old says, will you tie my shoes? And I'm guilty of this. I mean, I've still got one living at home, and it's like I want her to remain a four-year-old forever, which is really cute and sweet and wonderful, except she's 13. And I'm, like, guilty of this, right? But a loving parent actually wants to see their child, a little baby in our house, wants to see their child learn how to hold their head up wants to see a child learn how to sit up on their own, wants to see a child learn how to crawl and how to walk. Not because, we ha- because the loving parent has a whip and a lash, but because the loving parent knows that the full potential of the child needs to be realized. When we pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, it's not only a request, it's our commitment to partner with God. It also sets our priorities that whatever our needs are, whatever it is that you've been asking God for, the first priority is that God's will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. To reset our priorities according to the kingdom's agenda is to change our perspective on what's needed in the world. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. I love learning about prayer. I love walking through prayer. I love prayer because it's accessible to every single person. You know how accessible prayer is as a spiritual exercise? You you don't have to be rich to pray. You don't have to be smart to pray. 
You don't have to be cool to pray. You don't have to be perfect to pray. You don't have to be sober to pray, although it helps. You don't have to be holy to pray. You don't have to be strong to pray. You don't have to be good looking to pray, thank God. You just have to be present with God to pray. And so that means that the good news is, is that the Lord's Prayer is, it's tangible. It's within our grasp. It's within our grasp. It's within my grasp. It's within yours. And that ought to be like a great encouragement. And if I learn a way to say it well, then it'll be an even bigger encouragement. Yeah? Um, Next slide, please. So whatever questions you have, save them up. No, one more. Yeah, whatever questions you have, save it up for Pastor Adam. (laughs) If I have raised innumerable conundrums and logical uh, uh, impossibilities, if I have like just totally messed with your mind, I have really good news. Uh, This church has an excellent pastor. He'll answer all of your questions (laughs) next week. It also means that the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which is by far the more difficult part, uh, Adam gets to preach on that. Yeah. But what I would recommend is that this week, that maybe you just sit with a scripted prayer where someone with more authority, someone wiser, someone who's been there, done that, not only bought the t-shirt, but clothed us in the t-shirt. Someone has delivered to us of first importance what we should pray. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really healthy that we train ourselves not to just be people who hear the word, but that we become people who do the word. So did you know there'd be homework? Just find it there in Matthew. You don't even have to memorize it. Just open it up and say, I'm going to take 10 minutes today, Lord, and I'm going to go through this prayer. What? I would love for us to be able to come back next week and during our three-minute break between worship and Adam's message to be able to say, hey, I spent three, I spent 10 minutes a day on this prayer. I, I, I bowed my uh, intellect to Jesus's. I received his wisdom that this is the way to pray and to be able to share like incredible stories. Wouldn't that be a great offering to bring to church next week? It'd be so wonderful. All right. So um, that's it, because Andrew's telling me over here, shorten it, shorten it. Um, if, if you are assigned to the ministry team today, here we are back in our traditional seating. Come on up, ministry team peoples. These are people who are experts in the Lord's Prayer and will answer all your questions, or at least they will pray with you uh, in, in order to uh, encourage you in whatever it is you're facing. Yeah? It's a wonderful thing. Uh, And then if we could, only because it's our liturgy, there's nothing particularly spiritual about it. Uh, So it's just the way we do things. Would you stand with me? And if you don't have the Lord's Prayer memorized, that's okay. Because the person on your left or right may or may not have it memorized. Uh, And as our benediction, I think it's just appropriate that we pray the Lord's Prayer. And you can say, forgive us our debts, or you can say, forgive us our trespasses. He's God. He can figure it out. So don't worry about getting the words right. All right? But, and this is, this is actually from the Book of Common Prayer. The introduction is, uh, because of the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus, 
we make bold to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.